2: Well, hello. So it is a weekday afternoon and I can't actually believe I'm saying this, but I've actually been, I've just come back from a party. Who knew that motherhood at this age meant having a party in the week? Um, And it's actually really opportune that I'm now talking to today's guest because believe me, there was a time where I felt like I was never going to get to party full stop. Never mind getting to party with wine at midday on a Tuesday Um, so I really feel like I've come quite far in not only accepting motherhood but just embracing motherhood and realising that it doesn't mean the end of the world and I'm really, really excited to have a chat with today's guest because after falling pregnant four months into her relationship which is obviously incredibly similar to my own story um, she thought that she'd ruined her life after having a baby Um, she had a traumatic 90-hour labour. So um potential trigger warning for anyone listening ahead of childbirth because I know that we'll be digging into that. She struggled through a very messy start to motherhood and um, with postnatal depression, lost her mind, her identity, confidence, and hated her postpartum body. I know so many of you will be nodding along already. Um, Charlotte's amassed thousands of followers by sharing the real and raw side of motherhood and how she's overcome it all. And since then, she's been shortlisted as um, health influencer featured in the press and she's making such a difference through viral social campaigns. She is a mama on a mission to imperfectly empower mums postpartum. Um, Her goal is to help 1 million mums improve their mental health, shift their mindset get body confident and reach their goals without the mum guilt. Promoting messages like taking care of you is taking care of your kids too. I already know how excited you guys are going to be because I'm so excited. She's just so passionate about redefining what it means to be a working mum in the modern world and helping mums start their side hustle, make money online, build a business or pivot careers after kids. Um, It is Charlotte Johnsy, She's a certified positive psychology coach, a business mentor, and of course, her own podcast host um, for Go Getting and Motivated Mums. Charlotte, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. I already know that we're just going to probably really struggled to fit everything in to such a short amount of time.
3: <laughs> and if you've been from a party, I'm amazed that you ha- are stringing a sentence together. <laughs> I'd be like, well, <laughs> we don't get to do it that much.
2: <laughs> this is the motherhood struggle, isn't it? Like, I feel like I'm in this sort of uh, new wave of motherhood where I'm starting to realise where it's not the end, it's almost like a new beginning. And I'm starting to get back bits of my old life that I enjoyed and I'm getting to enjoy very rare moments of baby free time. It's nice because I feel like once you get the freedom to get away or to get a bit of independence that's when you can start to miss them. And I think it's it's probably like relationships as well. It's only when you can miss someone that you can appreciate them.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Oh god, it's amazing that you're talking about relationships now because it's something that my partner and I are having to navigate personally. Because we've been so caught up in being parents and actually, you know, trying to get that space back. But whenever we get that space, it's usually with a social event or it's someone's birthday or it's something with other people that we've actually not been doing anything really to support our relationship. And when you're, you're right, when you're with someone on a daily basis, you see them often you forget to appreciate them for what they are. And you think of them as like, they're an amazing dad or an amazing mum. But I, I actually had to request recently is that he appreciated me outside of being a mum. Because he'd be like, oh, you're an amazing mummy, or you know, like those kind of comments. And I'm like, I'm still a person an individual I want you to see me outside of just being mum what's the name of your partner Matt Matt and the name of your son is Leo so Matt
2: and Leo so you met Matt and then after four months you got pregnant
3: yeah it was a it was a whirlwind (laughs) and against all odds I was pregnant I got pregnant on the pill so I'd been on the pill for 15 years I never expected to get pregnant And yeah, found out and I genuinely cried. And, you know, that is a trigger warning for anyone listening that, you know, has suffered a loss or anything. Um, But it has honestly been the best thing ever. I took a chance, took a risk, didn't know if it was going to survive. And also I had to make a decision to go into... (laughs) live with him because it was the pandemic and I was living in Essex he lived in Kent and I had to make a decision to live with him to nurture this baby. How old is your son now? Yeah so he's 18 months now.
2: So about so I was 15 months all our timelines are quite different so did you live together before finding out you were pregnant or you moved in together just before lockdown?
3: No so we'd never lived together so it was literally like we heard that news the pandemic and They said, you have to choose a household. So I chose to live with him. So see, this is so funny to me. So this is
2: exactly what happened with Tommy and I, that that Boris Johnson did the announcement. And I think it was from midnight. And Tommy happened to be at my flat, which at the time was in southwest London. And I actually said, you're going to have to go home. (laughs) And he was like, what? Do you not want me to like live here, and I was like, "Christ, no!" I was like, "We don't know how long this is going to go on." And he was like, "No, exactly. We don't know how long this is going to go on." Like I joke about it now because I think Tom's default setting is probably being in a relationship, whereas my default setting is being single. So it's trying to like navigate just our differences. But yeah, exactly the same as you. We kind of settled in and knuckled down and didn't really know how long it was going to be for, and then came out of the other side of the baby.
3: Yeah, and have you guys ever been on a holiday together just as a couple rather than with the baby? So luckily yes, because um, we had
2: this little gap in lockdown around October. So I celebrated my 30 week pregnancy in Cyprus, but my pelvic girdle pain was so bad. At one point, we thought I was going to have to go to hospital because the hotel, it was beautiful, but there was quite a lot of steps. And it sounds crazy to think now that I couldn't even manage like one or two steps. And even just to get up to our hotel room, there was like a, a good 10 steps. And I remember Tommy having to like push me and we didn't know if I'd make it. But luckily, yes. And also, I will say that, you know, we had our first baby free weekend a few weekends ago. It was it was almost weird because it's almost like getting to know each other again like you were saying it's like we praise each other all the time in terms of our roles of parenting and obviously we see each other every day but it almost feels like we're strange not strangers again but it feels almost like a first date like even you know like intimacy it feels a bit like oh because but we're so used to our roles as mum and as dad, and all the conversation is like logistics and what we can. Do, is your stag do and who are we going to get to look after the baby? And it's almost been so long. I mean, we've had a baby and being pre- pregnant for more time than we were together, like in your situation. But from that moment, you found out you were pregnant. What were your first thoughts because obviously it was a total shock I mean you were on the pill so you weren't expecting at all
3: yeah I always said to my friends I'd be the rich auntie that would shower them with gifts like I never expected myself to be a parent um I was always the career girl and you'll relate to this Ashley as well and I know your story uh I always thought maybe if I have kids, it'll be around 35 when I'm secure. I've got my house. I've got this. I've got that. But then this is the thing. We always think to ourselves, I'll be happy when I have this. I'll be happy when I have this car. I'll be happy when I have this house. Well, actually, it's not about that. It's about enjoying every single day and the moments, the micro moments of joy. And that's really important. So that's what I can see now. But obviously, when I first heard, I was scared. I genuinely was scared, fearful, wasn't sure if this was the right move. But I kind of just embraced it and like i was saying, enjoyed every day rather than focusing on the future and what might happen, actually being grateful for the position that I was in. Of course, I went through my own like mental health struggles at the, at the time. I went from having a completely different life as in career girl, single, really like thriving to meeting this amazing guy. To falling pregnant. How did you meet, by the way? I have to ask this because I find it fascinating. Uh, at a boozy brunch in Shoreditch, <laughs> which. Okay. It's, it's better than my hinge. So. Uh... <laughs> I don't know. I honestly thought this guy on paper was everything I wouldn't go for. He was ex army. He w- had two children already, teenagers. He was in. Bromley which I was like no I would never go with a Kent guy like I I just had these expectations of who I would be with so everything on paper oh and he's a PT and I've been out of plenty of PTs where no offense to anybody listening to this but I was like no 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 but actually on yes on paper he wasn't my ideal but everything he stood for his spirituality our connection it was everything I needed. So that's what I just trusted in the timing. I trusted in everything that I believed in. And, you know, as a coach, that's something I practice on a daily basis is gratitude um, and focusing on what's going right rather than focusing on what's going wrong. Um, Because when we're in that state and we focus on what's going wrong, all we do is focus on the negatives and what could be or what might happen. And actually, that's not fact. So really bringing it back to, okay, this is the situation. How can I navigate this? How can I move through this? How can I navigate these emotions that I've never had to do before? And do you know what? In hindsight, it was an amazing journey, even though it was one of the toughest ever in life. So talk me through, I mean, it's so funny now, like
2: thinking back, because at the time it you know, you're really living it and then suddenly it's a distant memory. But talk me through like the emotions that, and not only the emotions, but the physicality that you experienced during your pregnancy, especially a pregnancy in lockdown with a new partner.
3: Oh God, (laughs) where do we begin? I feel like there's so many different emotions. One minute, I just remember being like having this intense, blissful happiness and then And next minute, I would feel everything was crumbling. I was just so fearful. And also body changes. Like I could see my stretch marks appearing. I could see everything changing. And I wasn't sure if I was prepared or ready for this. It's quite surreal to have the two really opposite emotions literally within seconds. I think that's crazy. Like you can go through feeling like everything is amazing you can do this I've got this to oh my god I I can't do this I I don't know how I'm going to parent I'm with someone that I haven't been for a very long time I've taken on you know I've moved I haven't got the support network around me I was anxious I was worried it was really up and down but it was like a roller coaster actually do you feel like your relationship changed in your pregnancy? I actually feel like it we connected on a much deeper level and that was quite amazing actually. Yeah, because I feel like that
2: when I think back to my pregnancy, I mean, I feel really lucky in that I didn't get sickness. However, my first trimester, I was very tired and lethargic. But I just, I always feel a bit nostalgic about it because I feel like as the world was crumbling and we didn't even know if we were all going to live or, you know, if our families were going to survive. And it was this sort of really troubling time. And as someone who'd never wanted to be pregnant, and of course, in some ways, there's like I feel very fortunate in that because I have friends um, who have gone through or Are currently going through um, like fertility journeys and struggles. But I felt really connected and excited with Tommy. And I guess it was that sort of bonding thing as well, like, you know, like thinking about the future. I personally found my second trimester, I don't think I've ever felt more beautiful, more strong, more connected to myself, more spiritual, like everything. I felt like the most beautiful that I've ever felt. And I think as well, it comes from that external validation. Like when you're pregnant, And in your second trimester your tummy like starts to get really round and I felt I found myself feeling really confident about what I wore Um, and everybody's like you're glowing oh my gosh your hair looks so thick and then like third trimester for me got more troublesome but I think I also had this sort of um I guess naivety about what it meant to be a mum still because I was like I'm not going to change and this baby's going to live in our life like he's going to live around us and you know we're going to do all these amazing things which to be fair we have but it's very different and then it's funny because now when I look back like when I look back and I've got one of my best friends which is very exciting who is pregnant now one of my first like close close friends who's having a baby and I kind of like not resent the positivity because I, I, I definitely have come out of the other side of darkness and I'm so positive now but I just feel like it's a very 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 exciting special time your like first pregnancy because you don't quite know what's around the cult corner
3: yeah and I think it is but then I think we should also validate those emotions because it looking back I agree with you and sometimes I'm like why was I so down or just having those really emotional days or why didn't I just make the most of it But I don't have those regrets because, and I would say this to any woman, you have to just flow with whatever emotions are coming up because otherwise, if we have that conflict inside of our heads, all we do is create a battle within ourselves. So we're better off just going, okay, this is what I'm feeling. This is, I can see this is... Why I'm feeling this way. Maybe you've been triggered for a particular reason. Parenting triggers so many emotions that we have never realized are actually there or we've kind of put down or we've squashed because we're not willing to look at them. Whereas parenting can actually bring up things that are almost like blind spots for us. So I don't know if you've ever heard of the concept of like re-parenting. It's actually, parenting can be really triggering for us and especially coming from all different kind of backgrounds. And if you've ever been in trauma as well and coming from that, then it might be, bring up emotions that you've never had to face before in order to kind of come to a solution or a resolution of like how to deal with this yeah I mean I suppose you really
2: think about what you weren't happy with in in your childhood whatever it may be and I found personally like being a mum or having a child really makes you think about mortality a lot more like I think "Oh oh my goodness like my gran was once who I am now with you know, my mum or my dad, and then they they once had the excitement that we felt, and they obviously wanted to do their best. So, like, I mean, no offense to my parents, because I mean, they've they're amazing; they're they're like almost faultless. But obviously, as we all do, we have our insecurities and our issues, and you know, things that in retrospect we would have done differently. And you think, God, how did they get from that stage that we're in now, where it's you know, you want to do everything right to like, how did they fuck it up? like essentially even with the best intentions and so then you think oh I don't want to pass this down and I don't want to do the same to my to my kids and then I guess that's why some people repeat patterns but then some people go from one extreme to the other and like it's definitely made me think about life so much even to the point that I, I've i just turned 35 which seems absolutely crazy to say and it's like oh my goodness when he's five I'll be 40 when he's 10 I'll be 45 when he's 15 I'll be 50 and it's like suddenly you're thinking so much more about the future whereas I think beforehand, I just didn't really ever really think about the future. It was kind of like a distant fantasy or a wish. Whereas now it's like a solid, like, wow, I can, when he is my age, I will be however old. I'm not good at maths.
3: Yeah. And you just said something there about belief patterns and we do take on like our mums and our, our grands. And there is this particular way. And I guess this comes down to pressure as well, is that there has been a way to to parent in the past or like we should be a certain way and this is what where mum guilt comes from a lot of the time it's external pressures it's like what society says that we should behave like as a mum or if we don't do something like what our grand says it makes us feel bad or guilty for not doing it in their way But most of the time, if I ever say to mums, like, where does that mum guilt come from? It always comes from somewhere else. It's never their belief system. Because I was like, do you believe that? And they're usually saying, no, I don't. Well, what's your belief around it then? Because that's the one that should be the one that you push forward that you are aligned to. So really, the mum guilt shouldn't be coming up. It's Around you fearing that someone's going to judge you for what you're doing? Do you know what? It's so interesting because for all the like struggles and challenges that I found in motherhood, and
2: maybe it is because I became a mum older and I trained to be a coach and I've done my own work, but I've never experienced mum guilt. Like I did um, the Jeremy Vine show, you know, I said I had a baby free weekend, and Jeremy said, Oh, not to make you feel guilty, but I have um, some friends that went away this weekend and they were planning a baby-free weekend and it got to like 5 p.m. and they realized then they missed their baby so much they went home. I don't want to make you feel guilty. And I was like, it doesn't make me feel guilty at all. Like, I don't feel like a bad mom. Like I actually, I love the fact that I got to enjoy baby-free weekend and I, I don't, I don't feel guilty for it because I know what I put in and I know the love that I give and for everything that I've done, I definitely in hindsight would have done a few things differently, but it was never because of guilt. I don't feel I, I know what makes me happy and like working makes me happy and I don't feel guilty if Alf is safe and happy with other people because I'm doing what I have to do. And that's what I would love to like encourage everybody to feel like because why should we feel guilty?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm the same. I honestly don't really believe in mum guilt, although I do get work guilt. <laughs> I don't know if you get this. What do you mean as in like you feel guilty when you're working? So sometimes I'm like, okay, if I spend too, like if I overspend time like with my family, then I'm like, oh, I should be doing this or I should be doing that. So I get this work guilt that I'm not doing enough in my business or doing enough for other people rather than spending time with my family. So it's like this real, I don't know, I I get the work guilt, not the mum guilt. I do feel like that. And I think there's two things there. And the first
2: one is that we are so used to having a to-do list and being able to tick it off. And motherhood is that one thing that if you're with your child, especially in the age that our sons are at now, because they're in that sort of toddler stage, if we take our eyes off, like off the prize, so to speak, for one second, they will probably hurt themselves. Like they need us, like we have to be very connected to them. So it's getting used to sitting on a to-do list, but not being productive, because we are in this society that praises overworking and overachieving and being, you know, always being productive. And I think that links to the second thing, which is that a lot of us are hyper anxious, and we have to be, feeling like we're doing something because we're too scared to sit in the moment and like to deal with the anxiety so a lot of us are overachievers because nothing makes you feel better than like you know ticking something off ticking something off or distracting ourselves so I've had to really like teach myself um, and set boundaries with work to be like I can do that in an hour or a day or whatever it might be. Whereas in the past, I'd be like, yeah, I'll I'll do it yesterday.
3: Yeah, I think it's trying to get the balance, isn't it? And balance is like such a buzzword in parenting but I don't actually think you can achieve it. I think you're, I always have this analogy of plates smashing on the floor. So if you were to go to the kitchen, pick up like all the different plates, which would be your relationship, motherhood, your work, your business, your career, your friendships, your life admin, like all of the different plates. Now try and spin them all on, on two hands. You can't, they would end up smashing. Whereas you know, you can only focus really psychologically on one to three things at the same time. And if you, if you focus on other things, then you're going to drop the ball on other things. And I think you just have to accept that as in you can't be everything to everyone all at the same time. And I think this is what mums try to do so much. And they, then they also try and achieve this perfectionism or this ability to try and juggle all the plates and actually it's not possible I don't I think balance is bullshit I think mum guilt's bullshit although I will say on mum guilt Ashley is that if we're talking about the reason why we get it yes there's external factors but if we think about it internally actually it comes from our bond you I think you mentioned this earlier which when you form relationships you create a bond with someone and obviously that's even more like incredible when you have you know a child and you in you do experience psychologically these periods of like intense bliss, like joy, and you just feel this like mutual connection. But when you break that bond, and this can be from literally going to the shops for an hour, it could be going away for the weekend, it could be going, uh, just leaving your baby with your partner for, you know, a day. And when you break that bond, it actually causes a negative emotion, which actually then creates a threat so because they're not near you you're not protecting them you know that kind of whole mama bear analogy well then when you break that attachment you feel all sorts so you feel the worry the anxiety the stress and this is not to say that just because you don't experience or you don't believe in mum guilt you still do get you may get those feelings but I'm just kind of reassuring mums like listening to this that there is the reason why they feel mum guilt there is a psychological connection to it it is our duty and our job to kind of remind ourselves that you know they're going to be fine they're with someone I always say like reframe mum guilt reframe how you think about it like they're gonna be spending more quality time with those people they need to experience other relationships they need to um like you're if you're working you're building a future for them so like always looking at the other side of it rather than focusing on your emotions around it
2: yeah definitely i mean since alf's been going to a child mind his speech and his development has come on leaps and bounds and also like people bring different things to a child you know like everyone's good at different things and um you know alf getting to hang out with more adults and more children they're all like they're all bringing stuff to his development that I wouldn't be able to do on my own. So I definitely think it's a good point, but I feel like we, there's so much to talk about that. We're almost like going, I want to take it back to pregnancy and go back into childbirth. Basically, I'm so keen to like talk about what you do now and everything that you're doing to empower mums. But I feel like to be able to talk about that, we almost have to talk about the birth of you as a mum, which obviously starts with the birth of your son. So, um, What did you do, if anything, to prepare yourself for birth? And how did you feel in the lead up to childbirth?
3: Were you excited about it? Were you nervous about it? I love this question because I honestly thought, Ashley, I would have this serene, meditative, like, water birth. And I visualized it and I genuinely thought it was going to happen. And I'm a big believer in manifestation, so for it not to happen and completely go the opposite to what I expected, I didn't have a plan B. I only had a plan A and that was that. So your plan A was like rigid. It was like, I want water birth. I don't want intervention. This is how I want yeah, it. Yeah, I did hypnobirthing as well. As in like, you know, I did a course of hypnobirthing it and I just had this vision. I didn't have anybody else saying to me, I couldn't have it. Or the midwife saying to me, That's, you know, maybe consider if this was to happen, then you know, we might have to consider a C section. Or there was none of that knowledge. And I think that's a real gap. I think they need to be a little bit more honest if if I'm honest. There just needs to be more communication with, okay, this is your preferred option, but This could also happen and I just want to make you aware so that it's not a major surprise (laughs) because when you're going through it, like I didn't have enough information about an induction, like nobody shared that with me and I didn't do the research myself because I just assumed that the midwives would share everything I need to know And this is no discredit to any midwives because they do an awesome job. But I just think with the system, because they're so busy, I think, and as well, I don't know if this is a pandemic thing. I think there needs to be like, okay, this is your option A, this, what would be your option B and C? Just so you've got a different route or different understanding to what could happen.
2: You can find us wherever you get your podcasts from, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and ACAST. Just search for Paranormal Activity with Yvette Fielding. See, I feel like we just need to rip up this whole birth plan idea anyway, because when it came to, like, when everyone kept saying to me, What's your birth plan? What's your birth plan? I was like, how can I plan something that I've never done? That's like me saying, like I, my, I, I always compare it to solo traveling because that's what I did before childbirth, and it's the most like stepping into the unknown thing that I can compare it to. But that, that's like for me personally saying, right, I've planned my route, I've planned my route, and this is what I'm going to do. I've never been there. I've never, ever been there, but I've spoken to a few people who have been there, and I'm really set on this route. Whereas actually, I remember being like, I'm really open, like – I didn't have any particular preferred method with drugs, without drugs, C-section, vaginal. I think for me, the scary part was when I started to request pain relief and it didn't arrive. So because I thought we were always in charge. And I think that's for me where we need to rip up the system, because it's one thing having a birth plan or not having a birth plan. But we have to listen to mums and women who are in childbirth if they say they need pain relief it doesn't matter what their birth plan says like listen to them in that moment
3: yeah and I completely agree with you about the in charge I actually felt quite powerless and that's really interesting you say that because I really thought it was going to be this empowering experience where I thought I would be in control when actually when shit hit the fan when my little boy lost his heartbeat. Um, and we had to, you know, bring him back and God, thank God he is. But I didn't feel that I was in control of any of it. And that felt like a scary place to be, even though I had done so much preparation and really thinking that it was going to be this kind of different experience and to not feel that I was Communicated to, as in, this is going to happen now, or this is going to happen now. Of course, when you when it's an emergency, God, like take take the control away. Fine, like you need to do what you got to do. But the lead up to that, from literally when I went into having the birth
2: so did you plan to have a water birth within like a birthing suite for example
3: yeah so my waters broke but only my front waters or my Heinz waters and I didn't even realize there was two different separate waters <laughs> to break so good, <laughs> yeah so I went in thinking okay this is it and it was like no you got to go home for 24 hours I was like what and in the pandemic my partner couldn't be there and that was even the scariest part. So went in on by myself and I did refuse initially. I was like, I need him here. I was contracting. And yeah, th- I went through this whole induction process, but initially they didn't have a bed for me. It was pretty horrific as in the whole experience. They didn't communicate what was happening. They didn't have enough beds and um i don't want i don't want to share this to scare anybody because i don't want someone to think oh my god this is what could happen but i think if i knew what the induction process could look like or at least to be told okay your birth plan might not happen then i could have felt like i was a little bit more in control but when you're in that state as well like you you don't know what the best option is or the best route. I didn't know that I could actually say to them, No, I, I still want the hypnobirth and experience, even though I'm going through this process. But I didn't know that until after. So, you went through the, when you have an induction, do you have to go into the labor ward? So, you go into a completely separate room that's just for induction. So, it's not the labor ward, no.
2: Do you know what? I hope one day when this, like, I know the pandemic's technically over, but obviously it's not over. I really hope one day women get an apology for the fact that so many people had to experience childbirth alone because I can almost guarantee that if men gave birth, we like, they would not be doing it on their own. I honestly think it's one of the, it, I mean, essentially, childbirth is like how, whichever way you do it, it's like having an operation without the anesthetic. And i I signed it absolutely like probably one of the cruelest things that you can go through without the support of your
3: partner and I don't know what I would have done without um Tommy there throughout my childbirth. I actually opened up a message the other day of a woman telling me how her partner didn't get there in time um so when they told you know she went into active active labor which can look like hours for some women it could look like minutes or seconds for other women so They told her partner, but by the time he arrived, he was too late. And so she's still going through the trauma of what happened. And this is the lack of accountability that they have taken. I mean, I've been campaigning for this as well, Ashley, since, um, you know, I've been trying to work with an MP to try and get this changed as well as pregnant and then screwed. And they're not listening. They don't listen. So I agree there needs to be some sort of apology, especially while they were just having their parties, you know, in Parliament, while these women were going through, you know, childbirth alone. I mean, it just takes the piss really, doesn't it?
2: It does. So you went into a room on your own and you had an induction and then and then did it happen really quickly or what was the what were the next steps from there?
3: Yeah, so had the induction, was given a hormone drip, which was horrific. And by the way, because I wanted to have a drug-free childbirth and... For what reason, if you don't mind me asking? Again, I just had this idea in my head that I wanted this, you know, natural kind of birth, that it was going to be this beautiful human experience And I was an idiot, (laughs) to be honest. So
2: I I ended up having... Actually, no, I didn't have a drug-free breath. I had pethidin at some point. So that lasted about two, three hours. But my labor was 18 hours. You know, in all respects, I I was drug-free for the... Especially the pushing part of it. And people... Always say, Wow, you're amazing. Oh my God, you're a hero. And I'm like, No, no, we should, like, we need to get out of this idea that women are any braver or any stronger or any better. Like, it is not brave or it doesn't make you better. It doesn't give you a better childbirth if you go drug free. It's like going for a knee operation and being like, Do you know what? I know you've got general anesthetic, but I don't want it. I want. I want to have a natural experience, and people would be like, "You are a nutter," but yet with women, we are almost expected. I saw a male. Um, it was something circulating online. A male midwife had come out and said that pain in childbirth is to prepare a woman for parenting, and it's like, so what about the men? What about the dads? do they not have to experience pain for parenting or are they just good dads? Um, and it is this weird sort of idea that is pushed upon us. Like I understand why you felt like that. And I know so many other women that have felt like that. And then you get there and you're like, why? why? I mean, don't get me wrong. If, if, you can, if you can do it and you want to do it, great. But if you don't want to do it, also great. You don't get a bravery medal.
3: No, not at all. And in the end, you know, very quickly after the hormone drip, I asked for an epidural straight away. (laughs) I was like, I need this. So if I was to do this second time around, I'd have all the drugs. I was very naive, but this comes down to knowledge. I didn't have enough knowledge and I didn't have enough people to say to me, this, you know, consider this or try this. Or I just think, you know, I read books, but maybe the wrong books. I don't know. I didn't have enough knowledge that I felt that I could make the right decision but you're right you don't get a bravery medal no one says any you know says anything you just have to recover so there shouldn't be any of this judgment around you know having a c-section or having having drugs like just do what's right for you and so um your baby boy was born after 90 hours yeah wow I'm going to be really honest. It was not that blissful moment that you imagine. So obviously going through 90 hours of labor was pretty hardcore. My body was in bits. So not only did I do the labor side of it, you know, trying to push, I got to eight centimeters, by the way. Um, But the doctor said to get to 10 centimeters could be two hours or two days. And they were worried about my little boy. So of course, put him first and just surrendered and said, okay, I'm not going to have this childbirth through the vagina. I'm going to have to have this C-section. Had to have him because his heartbeat wasn't, you know, doing too well. So I think the hormone drip had a lot to, a lot to do with that. So when he finally come out through C-section, it, oh, I was throwing up <laughs> in all honesty. So I... It also was told to wear a mask, and I refused. I was like, "Absolutely no! I'm throwing up!" Like, had this bucket beside me, you know, like one of those. Yeah, like almost like
2: cardboard foam. I, I know the
3: ones. So I remember those. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, he went on me, but I was exhausted. Like, I was so thankful he was here that it was that, okay, he's here, I can relax. But I could barely keep my eyes open to the point like, I couldn't even really enjoy it. And I, one of the other things I didn't realize that happens after childbirth is they are on your boobs almost instantly. And I didn't realize that happened again, a knowledge thing. I didn't know that happened. So Next me, I thought I was gonna I was gonna get a rest, and Dad could look after him. (laughs) But of course not. They're on your boobs, and you're like, oh my god, I can't even like stay awake. I need to fall asleep. So yeah, it was not what I imagined.
2: I feel like everyone has a really personal and very different timeline in terms of. I, I love the term matrescence. I say it all the time, and I know obviously you're so passionate about that mum identity and finding yourself and losing yourself and that whole whirlwind you go through. And you know, some people love that newborn phase, and some people struggle with it and you know what was your experience because if I were to put it into a nutshell for me it was like the highest of highs from naught to four months the lowest of lows from six to twelve months and now it's just back to light I feel like Ashley but like a new and improved Ashley Do you know
3: what's really interesting with this question is that I think you have this expectation postpartum is six weeks And they only talk about it in a medical sense that postpartum is this amount of time. So you expect by six weeks to be like almost up and running, that you're going to be kind of exercising again, you're going to get your old life back or like things are going to go back to a bit of normality. No, that doesn't happen. Like postpartum is up to, I think about two to three years from what I hear from the mums and the clients that I have. And identity is a real problem. And I hear a lot of mums saying to me, but I, I miss my old life. I miss that about me or I'm not fun anymore. I don't get to be spontaneous and I don't get to do this. And I miss my old life when actually I always go, okay, let's flip it. It's actually an invitation for you to go, right, who do I want to be now? Because you've got this whole wealth of experience that you have right now. And you can take parts of you, you still, like you were saying, Ashley, that you can still take parts of you that you don't initially have in the first probably six months to a year, but go, okay, I'm going to merge who I was before with who I want to be now, focus on what I'm good at, what my strengths are, and I'm going to move forward into that person who I want to be. And that's where we all need to be rather than hanging on to something that was the past, like you wouldn't say, like you you're a dating coach. Like you wouldn't say, hang on to him, would you? If like he, if he's left you, you'd say, move on. Come on, we're we're here now. What? Who do you want to be? The only thing we ever see about the postnatal journey
2: is stepping out with her postnatal weight. Like look at her weight. It's always about the weight and like number one. Half of us aren't even thinking about a weight or we might be thinking about a weight in a really negative way, but like, where do we find the time to work out? Think about our eating. Like, I feel like it, it's survival mode, even if you're in the highs because where do you find the time? But also it's dangerous. And I, I often see new mums on social media being like finally back to running. It took me eight weeks or 10 weeks as if that's like a really long time. And I almost went back to running after eight weeks and, Luckily, I'm friends with a pelvic health physio, um, Marta Kinsella, although she just got married, so I don't know her her new name. And she was like, before you go running, please, please, please just come and see me. And she was the one who diagnosed me with prolapse and you know all the problems that I had for a good year. And if I'd have gone running, I would have done myself so much damage. And why are we made to feel at six weeks or eight weeks, I think, my pathetic gp appointment was where they asked us about condom and even the question about condom it feels a little bit like male driven because i don't think any of us are thinking about having sex that soon or at least if you are like fair play because you must have had a very swift recovery but i was like contraception i think the fact that my child is attached to my boob or the fact that i've got stitches and i'm absolutely terrified to even like touch my vagina like that is contraception. I want to know if I'm fixed.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is mad. And when you go to that six-week appointment, it's like a checklist. It's just like a system checklist that they have to tick off. You do not feel, I don't listen to any mum that has ever said they felt really cared for at that six-week checkup. It's a check in the box. And also, actually, you're just talking about your internal problems. There are things like, people say to mums oh you look great oh you look amazing but they don't consider what's going on internally just because you look a certain way this goes back to this god you know society expectations again of like bouncing back so what if you look good you might not fucking feel good
2: well even the term look good is always associated with weight loss isn't it and losing weight can be healthy but Gaining weight can be healthy and equally both can be unhealthy. And it's this notion that if you look like you haven't had a baby, then everything must be fine. Yeah,
3: exactly. And it's also kind of
2: another way to weaponize women against each other, because if you do um, look like you haven't had a baby, you're kind of considered a negative role model because you're, you know, you're unrealistic, but you know, we are all different and how our bodies look is the tip of the iceberg because as we all know, the emotional and physical and psychological thing is um, is something completely different. And I'm laughing so much because I remember in my pregnancy being like, right, I am going to take my six weeks and then I'll be back to my work. And obviously everyone always says, oh, the baby sleeps for like 20 hours a day. So I was like, 20 hours a day, it's going to be easy. I'll just like get working. And I thought I'd have launched my coaching platform. I still haven't launched my coaching platform in for 15 months. Like, And I feel like it's all just been a whirlwind. And I I just want to know like your whole mattress sense, losing your identity and finding it. And also like finding it in a way that you're now like, Passionate about helping other people find it. So, what we, what were your timelines like? How how long did it take you to feel like you sort of recognised the person you are, and and therefore wanted to help other people and empower other mums to find themselves after motherhood?
3: I think because I was in so much pain and despair myself with my postnatal depression, that was up until four months postpartum. Did it kick in from pregnancy, from childbirth, yeah, from childbirth? And I didn't recognize it initially um, until it got to a point where every day I wouldn't get out of my pajamas, but I didn't want to care for my little one. And I was having very dark thoughts, very dark thoughts, as in he'd be better off with somebody else Um, when I was in the shower, whenever I got a chance to have a shower. I'd be like if I just slipped and smashed my head it'd be I'd be in a much better place. That's how dark and for someone who's very optimistic and very positive and always overcomes adversity that's a very bad place to be and it's more normal than we actually think as well. And the more I spoke to more mums and the community that I connected with that's what empowered me initially. So I was like, okay, if I just speak about my experience, then we can all feel connected in this and not feel so alone. So that's what I started doing just naturally. And that is where I've started to find myself in this motherhood. I never imagined myself, and you'll probably feel the same as well, Ashley, to actually go into Um, being, what what do you call it, a mummy coach or a mummy blogger or an influencer, whatever you want to call it, or even having a podcast in parenting, I never imagined it, but actually it's the most fulfilling because I think as mums, we really have such a job to navigate this new world and you are reborn, you are birthed uh, as a new person, still parts of you, but you're having to navigate this whole new world as well as your new relationship because it has an impact on that as well. Um, So the timeline, just going back to that is, so four months postpartum, I started to share. I would say six months postpartum, my little boy started to get a little bit less. Uh, He had silent reflux. He also had a dairy allergy that I was navigating. So he basically cried the whole day he didn't stop. And my partner's ex army, they use that as a form of torture in the army as a baby crying. So that's training. So can you imagine what we have to endure and suffer, but nobody helps us? Yeah. So then I would say the penny dropped as in from a year. That's when I felt like, okay, I feel like I'm really enjoying this now. And I want to help other mums do it and I want to empower them to realize that they can be whoever they want to be postpartum and to step into whoever they want to be. And also there's a a real uh, point in motherhood where you decide whether you want to go back to work or not or you want to shift careers, or you want to build your own business. And I realized that this was a real pain point for mums, as in they don't know what to do. They're so conflicted because the system, again, is not set up for mums. So you have to act like you don't have a job, but also parent. Like, it doesn't really work. If you think about, like, school times or nursery times, it doesn't work or coincide with a normal nine-to-five job, does it? but you have to make it work. So my passion is like redefining what it means to be a working mum in the world, modern world. Like, you know, what do you wanna do? What do you wanna build? Because we're actually in a good position as mums now to actually be able to do everything online. For anyone listening
2: who is in that situation now, like what,
3: what are you helping with and how can you support them? So there's two parts, really. There's the part of helping them build a business or start a side hustle or make money online. And that is simply, I always say, right, what life do you want to live and build it around that? Don't build it around work because you'll always be miserable. You have to find something that is going to build around your family life that's going to make you feel fulfilled. Otherwise, you are just going to wake up every day really hating what you're doing. So that's part of what I am I love to help women do is find that. What, what is it that lights them up? What brings them joy? And build a business in that or start a side hustle. It doesn't need to be a full-time job. You want to work three days a week to bring some income in because you want financial independence? Go and do it. Don't feel that you are chained to your partner and then work going out and working. If that works for them, absolutely fine. But there's a lot of women that feel so disempowered because they are stay-at-home mums, but really what they want to be doing is either doing something for themselves to give them back that little bit of independence or bring them some income in so that they can work or, you know, be the breadwinner, whatever it looks like for you. But start with where you want to be first and then build it around that and then the other side Ashley is from a mental health and mindset point of view so I'm very very passionate I'm certified in positive psychology and this is focusing on what's going right versus focusing on what's going wrong which is what traditional psychology does so very very passionate about helping mums improve their mental health through postpartum
2: What tips would you give people who aren't feeling happy with their journey now?
3: So first one is, and this goes back to the identity piece, what is the version of you that you want your kids to see? So one of the interventions that I use is like, it's called the best possible self intervention. It's a visualization, but you look at yourself through your kids' eyes. What energy do you give off? Like, who do you want them to see? Because at the end of the day, Energy is contagious. So if you are stressed, worried, not feeling empowered, if you're overwhelmed, anxious, like whatever those feelings are, you are going to give that out and then all you're going to do is receive that back. So I truly believe in, you know, what version of you do you want your kids to see? Start there. And then I'm, Another thing is positive emotions in positive psychology, which is building in rituals and habits into your daily life. So this is the simple things like gratitude. This is journaling. This is meditation. This is all of the things that you hear of, but I adapt them for motherhood because otherwise you cannot spend 10 minutes of quality time by yourself usually doing a meditation so how do you build that in that is okay I am going to listen to affirmations in the car on my way to work or with the kids but building those positive statements in from the get-go or like journaling at the end of the day so you can get your and you know it's called writing therapy like so you get your thoughts out on paper or is it Listening to a meditation when you're going to sleep. So it's reprogramming your subconscious mind, like really building in those habits. And I call them habit stacking, um, because this would be another one, which would be building the behavior on top of each other. So because mums don't have a lot of time, so they, this would be like when you're having your cup of tea, like go and put the affirmations on. So When you stack the behavior on top of each other, it becomes a ritual and a habit. So then after 21 days of doing this, it becomes second nature and you just do it. And over time, this actually has like a really big compounding effect. So it means that it will increase your overall well-being and happiness. And I know for a fact that this works because one, it's grounded in science. Two, I use it with my clients all the time. And just finding those rituals and habits that work for you, are those little micro moments of joy that we all need to build in. And then the other one is building a relationship with yourself first, because we put as mums, everyone first or before us. So actually, how do we build that relationship with yourself? Like really focusing on that. And this comes with knowing your strengths, your values, What are your beliefs? And then most importantly, and this is the last one, knowing your boundaries. Because if we don't have boundaries, we end up overwhelmed, feeling like shit, and we let everyone else run the show except for us. And all we do is everything for everyone else. And then I feel like as well,
2: when you're doing everything for everyone else, you're probably not doing it with joy either so you become like bitter and resentful for it I know that Tommy and I have definitely had like conversations around because he's like he's a very good communicator and he's just like you need to just tell me what more you need from me or what can I do because I you're at the moment you're doing it all but I'm here to help but you're not telling me how I can help so yeah I think that's a really good one but You know, kind of like to sum up the podcast, because I mean, I know there was definitely a point and I know that you speak about this as well, where I felt like I'd made the worst mistake, even though the love for my child was always there. And I knew I was a good mum, but I was like, have I just ruined my life? Like this is constant and I never get to see my friends anymore and I never get to do this anymore. But I do feel like I. I have come at the other side or I'm coming out of the other side. And I do find that I have that time. And a lot of it was like what you're saying, it was like boundaries and knowing what was important to me. And like, for me it was like, okay, I need to be able to see my friends. So Tom and I were like, right, how can we make this happen? So, you know, then he'll, make sure that he's home for those nights or, and also just, I guess, as they get older, like Zanna, who is a podcast guest a few weeks ago, and she said to me like, don't try not to get caught up thinking about how it is now, but think about how it's going to be in five to 10 years. And I love that because it has given me perspective that it's not, you know, even just to think of how much I've grown and changed in the last year and how much independence I've got since then, it's only it's only gonna like get more and more to the point that at one point they'll be so independent. We want them to be more dependent again. And <laughs> so it's like trying to like think forward but also enjoy the moments
3: while they're there. We begun the podcast with relationships and another tip would be every night before you go to bed and this is positive psychology is say something that you're grateful for together and then also say something that you love about yourself and then something that you love about the other person and this might sound really cheesy But it is a really good communication starter because you start to have then like communication about each other rather than going to bed, scrolling on your phone or doing something that really isn't going to contribute to your happiness. So a little relationship tip there as well. Oh, I love that. And I feel like, God, if we were all honest about that, we
2: probably all need a lot of uh, help and support around our relationships. I know Tommy and I did a podcast after a year, but um, it is such a huge change, isn't it? But um, Charlotte, thank you so much for your time. I know that we've chatted and chatted away. And actually, I've only got to the tip of the iceberg on all the things that I wanted to talk to you about. So um, you'll definitely have to come back on at some point. But thank you for coming on Mums the World, the parenting podcast. And as always, thanks so much to all of you guys for listening and uh, hopefully you enjoyed the episode. If you did, of course, don't forget to leave a comment, hit the subscribe button and the follow button so you never miss an episode. If you feel like someone's in the thick of it and they're going to benefit from the episode I've just done with Charlotte, then please, please, please let them know about it. And don't forget, I haven't done it this time just because we've run out of time, but I always, always read out um, your comments whether it's on a voice note, which is on WhatsApp, which the free number is 75 or the email, which is askmumsthewordpod at gmail.com. And I'll see you same time, same place next week.
1: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.